are now locked into Radio Juxtapose, the home of contemporary art and culture conversation. Coming up today. I think the best way is just to keep trusting the painting process to take me different places. It's good to get stuck and get sick of things and figuring it out. I, I don't have like a master plan of showing at a certain place or doing something grand. It's just be honest with your practice and yourself. This is Radio Juxtapose. What is shaking? Welcome. Episode 56 of the Radio Juxtapose podcast. We're a week out. Major U.S. selection that we've probably been talking about every single episode of the podcast since we started this in 2018. But here we are, a week out. And to celebrate, we are going to share a conversation we had with Icelandic-born, San Francisco-educated, and now Chicago-based painter, Balder Helgensen. It's a good time to talk to Balder. Um, he's had a busy year, and not only a busy year, but a year that's sort of emblematic of the COVID situation, as well as the sort of uncertainty of what to do next. Famous for his exaggerated cartoon-like paintings that have references to art history as well his own personal life. Balder currently has a, a series of new paintings on view at the Ramp Gallery in London with former classmate of his in San Francisco, Amelia Vilaba. So we're really excited about this conversation and to share it with you today. He's one of our favorites. He um, has a unique aesthetic in the art world and for, of which that we cover and also just during this kind of crazy time, it kind of feels nice to, to talk to somebody who has internalized kind of these uncertain emotions into a really, really wonderful series of paintings this year. So this is a great conversation. Thank you. Hi, guys. Hey, that's amazing. How's it going? And we're on. You've got a crystal clear reception right there. Beautiful. <laughs> well, okay, so I wanted to say it's because you're in Iceland and everything's just better there, but you might be back in Chicago. I'm in Chicago. Eh, things are good there, too. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've foamed the whole studio. The sound should be excellent. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. You're, 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 you're number one best guest ever. <laughs> Tell us, where, where, where are you? You're in your studio at the moment in Chicago? I'm in my studio in Chicago, uh, which is just a nice word for my basement and my home. How's the vibe in Chicago at the moment? Just gonna, just gonna touch base with that. Oh, I haven't seen anyone other than like going to the store, and I've been in Iceland for five months, so I forgot how the situation was here. I made sure not to tell anyone that I went to Iceland because I felt horrible about it. We were stuck in the house here for three months before. Is it just that you felt the guilt of going to a place that had better, uh, just yeah. social, uh, yeah, social? Uh, I guess niceties, uh, care, uh, healthcare, social distancing rules. I bet you Iceland is probably the best place to be. Oh, for sure. I mean, <laughs> okay. when when we when we got there, there were zero cases. And then when you got there, they for some reason they just spiked. But we we left, and it's been through the roof since then. So we weren't that bad. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you go back to Iceland like every year for a couple months, or do you kind of? Yeah. Have, you, have you stopped doing that now that you uh, are kind of settled in Chicago? But you do go back. We Yeah, we try to go back every summer for like a couple of months. Okay. Uh, to get like the, the long hours and get away from the Chicago heat. Because right. I am not that great in 100 degrees Fahrenheit weather. So I'm, I'm happy if the sun's up 24 hours and it's like about 50 degrees. Then I'm happy. What What's that like? I mean, this is like, you know, whenever someone says Iceland, they're, they're, that's like the, one of the first things that you think of. You're like, your weather is mad. What, what, how jarring is it on the, on the, on the, like the head to be able to go back and just suddenly be like, boom, there's just permanent sunlight all the time. Does your body clock not just get just so, so thrown out of sync? And like, you it, it does a little bit. It does a little bit, but it's better in the summer than in the winter when it's dark. Like when we get there in the summer, we just let our kids stay up as long as they need to stay up and it doesn't really matter. 
Like, right. What what is night in the summertime in Iceland? I, I have a dumb question, but does the actual like the towns and the cities do they all kind of go like what is night and what is day in the summer in Iceland? Like, are things open later? Is it just like life? Like two a.m. People are acting like it's two in the afternoon. Sometimes, like, is it just yeah? I mean, a little bit. They do that in the summertime if it gets like hot in the day. Then stores might close because it's it's nice out. Everyone's gonna leave and do something. But yeah, okay. more in like the at night you'll see like kids out in parks like at eleven o'clock just hanging out and playing. God, that's wholesome. Right, right. That sounds wholesome. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm convinced because. Iceland's art community, I assume, is very supportive of each other uh, just because of the sheer population size. But mm-hmm. I'm convinced that you go to the grocery store and you see like musicians and artists just like in the local grocery store all the time. Like I like people see Bjork all the time. Like yeah. I, it's a it's a it's a fantasy I have. But like it's more so leading into. How is the art community in Iceland connected and is it nurturing? Is it special? Like we'll talk a little bit about that. I'm uh, yeah, I'm from Reykjavik, which is the biggest city, and it's a tiny town, pretty much. You see everyone, you're aware of everyone, and yeah, the art scene I think is very supportive. You can't have an art scene if it's not supportive. If it's like in a town of or in a country of three hundred fifty thousand people, you you can't be like burning bridges. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And egos kind of have to be a little bit in check, correct? Yeah, and folks. Like there aren't that many artists that are like full time artists. Mm-hmm. Like you, you need to. You kind of need to have love for making art to make art. Like you're not like I'm gonna make it and move to the big city of Reykjavik and everyone's gonna buy my art. Like there's only the, how many people can you sell art to when it's three hundred something thousand people? Would you? So does that mean? Is that like because there's like. Does that mean there's kind of like this do-it-yourself sort of kind of collective vibe then? Yeah. And the same with like like the music scene there. And if you check out like every band, somebody's like a carpenter and then a dentist and a fashion designer. And then like once a year they tour as cigarettes around the world and then they go back to... <laughs> 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 Good. I'm glad we got the. I got, I'm glad we got that band out of the way too. <laughs> <Ew. All right. laughs> I thought we might be able to make it a little further than that before someone said Bjork. But hey, <laughs> I did get stuck next to her on a red light this summer, so I did see her this summer. Oh, <laughs> oh, nice. See, yeah. just staying in that thread though, with these, with the kind of like, especially with the music scene and with and with what I know of the art scene there, I felt like this is such a direct response to the environment in which they grew up in. You could feel like the big atmosphere of the Northern Lights kind of coming through and in and, and some of those Seeger Ross tracks or the kind of like the experimental nature with Bjork. When you were coming up through art school, did you feel that you had to try and fit into a mold of what it was to be an Icelandic creator? Oh, definitely. That was one of the reasons why I ended up moving away. Uh, in the art school, they're, they're more, it's more conceptual-based. You're, you're supposed to be thinking... You're supposed to be thinking bigger than just, I'm going to paint a painting. So you're sitting around talking about ideas, and then you're not really taught how to make the things that you want to make or create. The idea is king, and then you have to just figure out a way to make it. And I think that's why you get these great bands out of Iceland. It's like there aren't any rules because you're just bored on an island, and you're like, what can I make that is interesting to make my life less boring? And it's less in like a commercial sense. And the same thing with the art school there. It's They're not teaching you how to sell or market art. It's like art for art's sake. After I had gone through art school there, I wanted to also learn the technical stuff, which is why I wanted to go to the US where they had these polar opposite schools of like the academic schools where you're just sitting and you're just painting a person or drawing a person all day. Then you go home and then you have to practice painting that person again. 
and there's not that much sitting around discussing ideas. It's just technical aspects. So you had to basically kind of adjust from this sort of like collective mindset into like going to America, which is like collective. It's yeah. all about individualism, right? <laughs> yeah. So you had to kind of, you had to adjust on the fly. And you could see that in like when I got a studio, everyone was just in their own booth doing their own thing. Like there were, wasn't that much collaboration or discussing ideas. It was just, I'm here creating my work. And maybe it was just the school that I went to, but it felt a little individual life did you like go to like booth to booth like hey guys what are you doing you want to talk about ideas like did yeah. you go around like yeah you did okay and and the reaction wasn't so strong for that yeah no and then i was like oh no no i wasn't walking around going so how did you feel when you first got here then or here there uh you know when you come over with these you know you've got these big ideas and you've been taught all this stuff and then suddenly did you feel that you like okay cool this is what i wanted or was it like quite hard to try and train yourself to think in this new way no i mean i, I came because i wanted to be a figurative painter and that isn't taught in iceland like i go back and they're like wait uh, how are you doing okay doing figurative work is, is anybody interested in figurative work like it's so i mean i went there and i was stoked to be there like i had great teachers that i really liked their work even though if it happened to be more commercial or than if it was abstract like san francisco had some great art professors that i had and so i mean i just sunk in and started painting a lot was this always something that you felt that you would be able to do because i mean you know painting is is hard when you've got the support, you know, kind of coming at you saying that, you know, yeah, you can do this. It's still a hard thing to turn into a career. And then if you're sitting there in Iceland, going to be, I'm going to be a figurative painter and an artist. Was it? Uh, well, yeah, that, that, you... that's why I like tried to get some illustration gigs early on just to make rent. And so I, I did some illustration work going back to Iceland after school was always the plan because they have a support system for artists there. Like you can apply for artist salaries that are paid by the government. And if you don't get it, you just have to figure out a way to to make a living. But they also have they also have a safety net of you have free schools for kids and you don't have to pay for health insurance and so the the big things are kind of taken care of for you. So the plan was always to move back to Iceland after school or somewhere where they had like socialized medicine what a, what a, what a utopia you've just described yeah i was gonna say wow, <laughs> all the americans are sitting there just now going oh my god but I, i'm sitting in america i'm here i like it here just based on the timeline you went from iceland to san francisco directly yeah uh what was the did you have a little bit of i don't want to say shock but what was your first impressions of because if you come to san francisco first it's a very uh, it's a kind of edited version of America in some ways. Uh, what was your first kind of initial feelings of being in the city? The, the only shock that I had was just when somebody told me, go check out the mission day one. And I got out on 16th and mission. And I was like, the, the, there seems to be a homeless problem here. This, <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, it was something that I had never seen. And I, I had traveled around Europe and I'd, been to New York, like I'd, I'd only been to New York, but I'd, I'd traveled around, but I'd never seen homelessness and such. And uh, yeah, it was wild. No, the rest of San, San Francisco is like a small town. It kind of reminded yeah. me of like Reykjavik, like you would see the same people everywhere and you would see the like the San Francisco versions of Bjork at the cafe every day and if there's a celebrity in San Francisco, you're going to see that person. Yeah, we used to see Robin Williams all the time. Yeah. He was just like one of these guys, he just showed up everywhere. It was really random. I'm curious because you, so you were talking about this kind of collective art as this bigger, greater idea of self when you're in Iceland and you come to San Francisco and you're going to be around, there's multiple things. You can talk about funk art, you can talk about our crumb, you can talk about Barry McGee, all those scenes. 
Uh-huh. Where where did you and there's also a major conceptual scene here. So where did you start finding where you were comfortable in the in terms of the arts when you got to school? Took me a while. And uh, I was kind of like poo-pooed by a lot of the teachers that were like you need to start making this weird stuff and make something more aesthetically pleasing. Cuz I was making like these weird kind of rip-offs of like German expressionism and like it wasn't it wasn't really working but i would be going and like doing these drawings with a ballpoint pen and like would show that to my teachers there and they would like tell me to do this original style that i well it came natural to me how to draw the figure and there were a couple of professors that like told me to go a certain direction with those drawings and make my paintings more look like those drawings that I was making. And that was kind of the breakthrough. I had this uh, Japanese professor called Kazu Sano who did like the Empire Strike Back or Return of the Jedi poster. He was like a, a commercial illustrator. Yeah, yeah. And he really pushed me to like embrace the the like natural style that I was gravitating to like the the way that I draw I mean, instead of trying to draw like something that I'm not or paint like something I'm not you were told to be more honest with what you were actually yeah was more about you as opposed to like trying to do Gerhard Richter paintings or something when you when you say that you know these were your sketches and your drawings what would that be something similar uh, in the same vein of what we know you're your work to look like today or was it was this still was the work that we are familiar with today still like a long way away from from that realization it's like an evol evolution from that point on i started doing these kind of like comic book like characters uh in paintings putting them in different situations and then that evolved into more of like an abstract blobby type figures that didn't really have like bodies or facial expressions it was more kind of like a weird collage of different shapes creating like some sort of a figure and then that transformed back into this one character that I focused on for a while and it was pretty much just taking those abstract shapes that I was doing and like building this character out of those shapes that I was painting that it got back into just kind of proper figuration, albeit comic book-like. And you were, like, very intentionally trying to, like, bring it back to this kind of, like, that Betty Boop-style cartoon figure? Or was it, was it, was this, like, just one of many things kind of going on in that, that? It's less Betty Boop, more of, like, kind of troll images that I grew up with as a kid, like that large nose and... If I would like look at drawings that I did as a kid of trolls, they're probably pretty similar to what I'm painting now. So you've just gone on this kind of like weird yeah. journey, oh, 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 and then it's kind of just always come back. Yeah, I just got confused for like 30 years and now I'm back to <laughs> what I really want to be. you just pulled in amalgamations of all these other forms yeah. into this. Wait, I'm glad we mentioned trolls because... <laughs> no, this, there, this, there's a reason for this, everybody. It's a reason. Um, because, you know, you do have a comic book, sort of this kind of old school cartoon aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And you were saying how, it, I mean, I was wondering, like in Iceland, if you, you were reading comic books or, you know, what certain aesthetics as a kid you were taking in. But I also forgot that fantasy and the images of... Um, like there is this kind of magical realism that exists in Iceland from what I understand that I assume has permeated like your, your subconscious when you make art. I have to assume. Yeah. We're, when we're kids, we have to read like the sagas and they're filled with some weird fantasy and ghost stories. And, but at the same time we're reading those sagas, I'm also reading like Gaston Legaffe and Lucky Luke and those like Belgium uh cartoons yeah. and if you look at like the troll 
drawings or illustrations that we were shown in Iceland than those like Belgium cartoons. They're pretty similar, like set up, like the large eyes, large noses, kind of like animated large hands and feet and so do, do you think those the, the audience in in iceland versus the audience that say in chicago do you think they're taking completely different things away oh, from this totally yeah have you picked up on any kind of interesting responses yeah, and what sure. they might have they might have seen from that yeah but i i don't i don't mind hearing different takes and it's like i'm not i don't get upset by if somebody is interpreting the work in a different way because i interpreted i can't say that word now i mean i look at the paintings differently day to day because you see yourself in there or yeah. what is that i mean some paintings are i'm painting an emotion or a feeling or a place that i'm in at that moment and some are just an empty canvas and i start messing about on it like the last two shows i've done i haven't planned any paintings i just started painting and kind of let the paintings happen but i had two shows in the last year where it was all very autobiographical looking at like very personal things that were happening in my life and they're all coming from me looking inwards at what emotions are happening but some are telling a story and some just happen there's something in that land because i don't know if this is like you said that there was, you know, the really key kind of period there. But those characters, they there's that duality in there. You know, it's like it's happiness, but it's like beyond a natural happiness. There's that kind of like that really like almost sinister side to it. But then now they're all like the one that I just saw, the show that I've just seen at rap, like they're all in floods of tears. Every they're single one of the characters manic. is, I mean, you know, is this a response to anything pandemic-y? that might be going on in the world? I, I, part, part of it, yeah. Because, I mean, a lot, of the, a lot of those paintings were paintings of my uh, wife. And we've been, like, st stuck in the same house together for, what is it, eight months now? Yeah, I think we're going on almost eight, yeah. Yeah, we had gone through, like, a little bit of a grief about a year ago. And then just a few months later, we're locked in the house and you can't go out and like so you're kind of trapped in this box of emotions and we're like we have we have this fairly nice house in chicago and but we have two kids and there's not a lot of room to avoid each other so it's been like a, it's been a manic eight months that must have come out in the paintings is this intentional for you at the time or is it something that you don't really realize until oh the, no that i think that was <laughs> very intentional do you find for for the viewer or for people who collect your art that the fact that you have like some recognizable characters and that you can apply these different emotions that are going on for you like do you, do you find that there's a little bit of a um sort of a nice conversation that you're having with the viewer that they can kind of like see these emotions to these characters that they're becoming more familiar with and that it's for you painting it like you're being, you're able to tell a story in a way that's it's good for you i hope so i mean yeah they're they're a little bit of a a, a diary of my life because i'm i'm painting every day and it's it's hard not to be putting yourself out there in those paintings and i i'm very happy when people kind of get what i'm doing and connect to it on some level was that was that not the question you asked me <laughs> no it's totally because i feel like i i feel like what i've seen in the last couple of years with your work is that like i'm looking at you and you're the character and you're kind of going through this weird world and sort of like giving us a really good play-by-play -play what the fuck's going on and I feel like every show, there's like this little bit of like, this is what's happening now kind of thing, uh, which is interesting because it could be so personal. And yet you're, you're kind of capturing a really good, again, here we go with that word, collective mood really well. And I feel like that must be in your DNA. Yeah. I'm trying to think. No, I, I think I think what I'm saying is that you're, 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 you're past of being part of this sort of 
how Icelandic how the Icelandic mindset is about the collective, I think that it's no matter how personal you make your work, that's still in you and it's it's really effective. And I want you to react to that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I mean when when I decided to like focus on doing like this one character without it seeming like gimmicky i would have to be personal and like introspective and look at the world around me to say something with the paintings without it being just look at this fun guy who i'm like drawing mickey mouse all the time it set like a limitation on what i could do in the paintings but it also opened up to me more opportunities to explore what i can do with paintings to really get into like the psychology of myself in the paintings and as a painter. I'm interested to know what would be the difference between this turning into something that would be gimmicky into something that would be, you know, artistically more valid. It's just try to paint something that means something to you. Like, would it be, would it be like something that you could easily see? I'm just trying to, I'm trying to internally visualize what that what that difference would be i'm not i'm i'm not sure that other people would see it i hope they would see if i wasn't 100 percent putting myself in a painting but i mm. i wouldn't be comfortable putting a painting out that i wouldn't feel have some sort of a meaning for me so where does art history come into this then? Because I know that you've got this kind of that other side where you're constantly trying to reference you know, trying to pull in little references and nods to to you, you know, your your peers. I mean, I think I think all artists are they're referencing some sort of art history. Like you, you don't just come up fully formed and bring something new to the table. And I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm just usually in my basement painting, and my breaks are just looking at art books. Like I obsessively collect art books i like having them around and when i take little breaks i'll go flip through a painting and then just i might get inspired by something that i see and i'm like hey i want to kind of tackle that idea in whatever paintings i'm working on it's putting yourself just in the history of i don't know humanity or something I love that. What was your last breakthrough that you felt like you had? Like when you were doing like the last show, what did you have like a, is there a particular inspiration point that you're like, yeah. And that, and you can see that that's where you kind of went off into that direction. It was just the simple thing of started painting Patty, my wife, because I had been so like looking inwards and then for the last yeah two or three shows, and then I was working in a studio with her all day. And I was like, well, I should be using, like, we're, we're kind of like a team. We're a collective. I should paint yeah. her. I want to paint her. So I, that's, I got kind of obsessed with just, yeah, painting her in different ways and scenarios. It feels a little Picasso-esque. I like it. Well, I hope it's not too Picasso-esque. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, in a, in a good way. In like that way where it's like, uh, you know, Picasso used to paint his, the people that he was with. Yeah, I was made, more talking about than the per particular bodies of misogyny aspect. Oh, of. right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I, we all know that. I wasn't trying to go that direction. It's more talking about the special uh, body of work and you can talk about it in a certain way years later. Yeah. Um, no, I'm looking at like a Picasso portraits book sitting next to me. So it's. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. It makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Phew. And did you like that process? Did you like the fact that you got to paint your wife and that it it, it sort of changed the way that you were composing <clears throat> things? Like, was that a, like a, I don't want to say refreshing, but did it kind of, oh, it, it was, clearly uh, inspired you enough to build a body of work? It was very refreshing. And yeah. it was, it got me super excited about painting because I, I had just, had we had a show in Iceland this summer, which uh, I was playing around with like history paintings because I felt a little drained after uh, the show I had at Richard Heller of painting that 
painting these kind of self-portraits. So I went to Iceland and tackled kind of like Icelandic history painting. So I, I wanted to get personal with the paintings. And I didn't know where to go. And when I started painting her, it just, I was off and running. It, yeah, it was it was it was a great, great few months painting those paintings. I was very excited about it. How did it change your relationship with her? It was the same. <laughs> did you know? No, I, I just mean because there's such a <laughs> there's like a deep there's like a deep exploration in that. Like, did you feel like different during this period? I mean, we've spoken. I think one of the most memorable ones for me in a, in a conversation was with uh, Jenny Morgan. And she was describing, you know, painting, the, you know, painting her friends. And, well, she was, you know, like nine times out of ten, they were always nude. Yeah. And I think that just completely that that kind of like, you could be friends. You could be friends for like, you could be husband and wife. But then when you enact on this process of painting someone, it's something different. You, I think you, you, you have a, you, you change the way that you're, kind of communicating and, and and looking at each other and and reacting and I was wondering if you could you know did did you feel that at all not necessarily in the painting aspect it's just more that it's been a fucking wild year and so me painting her feels kind of minuscule with what like everything else we're dealing with in the world did she end up critiquing and it like see like, i was like, surprised she actually you gotta you gotta paint that better we gotta dial those features in a little bit yeah, exactly <laughs> chuko at ramp gallery he was like he was more worried about it than me like does she does she like that you're painting her like that i was surprised that she actually loved the paintings because i've i've done like realistic paintings of her and she hates them and now that i did this she was she didn't want me to send them off she wanted to keep them is that because there's a like a slightly like that slight disconnect between something that's like really yeah like, this is me rather than this is a representation of me uh, what are the kids next i th no, that those paintings would be too wild i i don't think i can handle even <laughs> tackling them yet <laughs> you gotta go back and do the self-portraits for a little while no i've I thought about i thought about bringing the kids in but i i i I don't have like an angle on it yet. Yeah, there's there's this kind of thing about this year. I mean, as you keep saying like this has been just like a hell of a year. But are you like looking at this body of work and feeling like do you feel like you captured your emotions of what you were going through this year pretty well? Because I I do feel that like I'm looking back on some of the things I wrote in April and May, and I'm like, if I would have known this is going to October and maybe for another year, like I I could see myself adjusting even more of my depth of despair but um are you how, do, how are you feeling looking back on just like the months of building this up and now that it's out in the world like you have these like these kind of touch points and touchstones of your emotions like that's that's vulnerable but it's also like it's really personal to you and your wife because i've had three shows since the pandemic of like a decent amount of paintings and shows i had the show at richard heller and and trying to get those paintings out to california when everything was shutting down was wild. That was a very, very, I remember like that show is like, that was kind of like, are we, what are we, nobody knew what we were doing. Yeah. And it was like every artist I knew was like, I just made this body of work. I have no idea. Like, will there even be a universe anymore? Like it was, it was very and tumultuous. No, nobody got point. to see those paintings and that. Right. Like, yeah. And I, yeah, I put a lot of work into that and then nobody got to see them. And that was a little bit of a, it looked great digitally. <laughs> Thank you. It was a great show. But and then immediately I started working on stuff for a show in Iceland and I mean so I've been pretty well documenting yeah how this has been. Well, actually you brought up something that was actually more so where I wanted to take the question so I'm glad you did. No, it's this idea of making artwork that you that people might not see. Yeah. And I was talking to, uh, I think I was, I was interviewing Nathaniel Mary Quinn the other day and asked him this question about, there's one thing to make the work back in December and January when you think the world's going to see your artwork and you're going to have an opening and you're going to fly out to LA and everything's going to be what it always was. 
But then when you're in the middle of a pandemic and you're sending work to a gallery that maybe no one will ever see the work ever, like, I don't know if anxiety is the right word, but is there, it's got to, it's just got to be a different experience as a creator. You want, you want your painting scene. Is the, right. it, the screen doesn't do the paintings justice. And it's, it, it is like a hole in the heart when people can't look at the work. Right. So, I mean, in that sense, it's a little devastating. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I, I, I was going to try to go to the ramp opening and then the week before they put a ban on Icelandic people going to the UK without quarantining. So I couldn't make it to the show. And so that's also a bummer. Yeah. But uh, at least there, there are some people able to check out the show. And when we had the show in Iceland, people were able to come and check out the paintings. How long was that uh, process then with, with ramp? Was that something that's been in the pipes for a long time, or was that quite last minute? Yeah, we did a we did a group show, or I did a I was in their first show uh, a year ago, and then we talked about doing a two person show uh, this year because I had uh, a couple of solo shows already planned, and I so I wanted to I really wanted to show with with them because I I think they're a Fantastic well, it feels like and- it feels like London took like ten years off on the emerging art scene, and then like it's finally recently. It seems like there's a couple spots that are starting to catch up. There, it, we're in a really good moment of figurative painters, especially around the age group that we're all kind of participating in. Who do you kind of consider to be your peers, and like the people that you kind of feel like you guys are all kind of coming up together? Are there any particular people that you're kind of gets you excited about painting? and that you kind of consider to be, you know, in, in kinship with what you're doing? I've been, like, just stuck in a basement for seven months, no, seven years, uh, painting by myself. And it, I, because I moved from San Francisco to Chicago, had a kid immediately, and so I haven't been able to, like, be around the scene that much because I'm at home raising kids. And when I'm not with the kids, I'm painting. And Chicago's a very particular institutional town. Even yeah. There is a younger emerging scene, but it's it's a little different. It's very much like the kids that went to the Art Institute. I mean, I guess it's mo- mostly just seeing stuff on Instagram. Like, because I was taking my, I was trying to show my work or I was trying to like get into galleries here and no, uh, nobody was biting for years and then I showed my work to uh, John Maloof and he uh, John Maloof did the Vivian Meyer documentary he found like her mm-hmm. uh, photos and he put me in a show with uh, Peter Jepsen which is a Swedish painter that was the first show that I showed here in Chicago and so the peers were like a guy in Sweden and then another guy that he found <laughs> in the but then, I mean, there's fantastic painters here in Chicago. Uh, Sean Gannon that just showed at Ramp. He's a buddy. Mm. But I'm I'm not really in any sort of a scene here. Mm-hmm. I, I know more painters and, uh, and artists in Iceland than here just because I'm here. I'm in the studio. Yeah. You got to give a shout out to some Iceland artists, though, right now, because I, I feel like there's got to be some people that the world does not know about that you are definitely in on. Yeah, there's a uh, David Ertaldorson. He is uh he what was the name? He won this huge uh, like Carnegie Art Prize a few years ago. And he's a phenomenal artist that is known in like the Nordic North Europe art scene but I think he just joined Instagram, so people aren't really aware of him. And he does these beautiful kind of abstract, graffiti-inspired paintings. Blanking and blanking. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 always it's always a bit shitty when you get put yeah. on the spot like that. Do you think that the the the, the country is quite nourishing, nourishing? Yeah, nourishing, nurturing for for young. For young creatives kind of coming up 
with the access to Instagram and this kind of this 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 market that's there, is that like allowing people like yourself to be kind of like flag wavers for you know for being an artist that isn't traditionally like conceptual big idea uh, that the art schools would want you to be do you think there's more support and there's enough coming out through these institutions now uh as opposed to when you were i i think so yeah yeah because there, there there's uh this young icelandic painter her name is helena i think it's helena margaret she's a fantastic painter but she is very obviously like inspired by kind of what's going on in the world right now and the way Instagram influences how we see paintings and artwork has changed like I feel like the whole art scene uh, by an insane amount and I mean the only reason why people found my work was because of Instagram because I, I was just showing in some smaller spaces here in Chicago and then somebody went to a show and put in a story and then other people found the work and and that's how it started spreading did instagram change your work i think i think it i think it must have but uh, the the paintings are pretty similar to how like aesthetically uh, they've they've changed somewhat since i joined instagram and found instagram but the they're still kind of stuck in this this style that I grew up doing and so they yeah no they must have changed somehow because of Instagram as you move forward what would you where would you like to see this start to to go you happy happy exploring where you're exploring or do you have you know a vision to try and take some kind of new direction I'm I just I think the best way is just to keep trusting the painting process to take me different places. Like it's it's good to get stuck and get sick of things and figuring it out. I, I don't have like a master plan of like showing at a certain place or doing something grander or it's just be be honest with your practice and yourself. I feel like that was a very Icelandic answer. Yeah. <laughs> You know, everyone else kind of is like, okay, I want to, I want to show here, I want to do this, and you're like, I just want to be, you know, I want to be honest. What is a, uh, what does a break look like for you? Because you've been so, you've been so active, you've had so many shows, and it's been like a really like a great run for you. What is downtime for you at this point? Downtime? Is it just, is it just more research? Is it more like kids? I guess you got kids, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's more it's kids. Just, if there's downtime, I'm with the kids. Like when you were in Iceland this summer, did you get a chance to just, I'm here with the family and there's no work? We, when we went to Iceland, we had to quarantine for two weeks and we were lucky enough to have access to uh, a house in the countryside. It was like we were surrounded by nature and we'd been stuck in a house in Chicago and the kids had barely left the house for three months. So being able to like run in a field and chase sheep and like check out the horses was incredible what's their connection with iceland are you like trying to kind of like i know you live in america and i know you love the this but you're this viking troll uh, that's uh, i call them little viking trolls that's what i call them uh <laughs> no the, <laughs> one of the main uh reasons we went back was just because society was kind of functioning and they had schools open and we could get the kids into school so they could see other kids so they could start picking up Icelandic and that's they've been there now we were we were there for five months and so their Icelandic is improving and they 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 really love the culture over there so I'm stoked to like introduce it to them for more than just two months to like get like a solid amount of time, they've made friends over there. And were you part? Of, were you part of a show at a co-op or a collective when you were there this summer? Yeah. Did was that planned beforehand? Did you know that you were going to be doing that, or was that something that happened because you got there earlier than maybe you thought? It, it was kind of uh, when once we decided we were going to go to Iceland, we talked to them about doing a show. Me and my wife, uh, yeah. 
Paris Rockos. So we had we had a show of just work that we created while we were there. Very much kind of inspired by Icelandic culture and Icelandic history. Yeah, just for the benefit of the listener, behind behind you, there's like the sketching I can see of a Viking helmet. Is this something? Oh, this, yeah. This is a... I feel like this might be uh, influenced by Iceland more so than (laughs) than Chicago. This this was a painting that I was going to start before we left five months ago. So it's been sitting here. I was going to do like these kind of heritage paintings. And uh, I don't know where it's going now. (laughs) (laughs) Have you you thought about maybe starting some sort of space or some sort of creative hub in Iceland for like the generation that's younger than you? Because it seems as if that your success outside of Iceland could be helpful for other people. Like I said, I uh, told you guys earlier, I'm in the middle of like packing up my house and I think we're, we're heading back to Iceland for a little bit. And I'm going to set up like a, a studio there for the first time ever, a proper studio setup. I do want to like do some teaching over there. I want to cool. try to get like, yeah, to teach some painting classes. Do you think they'll have to go independently to teach, or do you think oh. that the, the the institutions <laughs> will allow you to bring like, in? They're like, that's the, not enough landscape in your work. What? You can't teach here. No, it's <laughs> that's a that's a brush. We don't use brushes. We use ideas. <laughs> <laughs> no, there. I mean, there's a, there's a great there's a great history of Icelandic painting, but it just it went a little funkies or whatever fl- flux for a while and minimalism. But I mean, yeah, there's a there's a great history of painting in Iceland. Who's like the who's like the famous 20th century like troll illustrator? Is there somebody who's like the epitome of like that kind of fantasy art? Eng- English guy who lives in Iceland called Brian Pilkington. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that is not what I thought. Yeah. Okay, uh, that's Fucking amazing. Brian Pilkington. <laughs> And that is like the most English name that you could come up with is uh, Pilkington. Oh, God. Sorry if he's listening. There was a... There's been, I think, like two Icelandic booths or uh, at the Venice Biennale in the past 10 years that have like focused on trolls. There's like a... Wow. Stinkrim Eifjord, I think, did like some sculptures of trolls and then they did like this whole troll shop coffee booth two years ago uh where you could like buy uh ceramics made by a troll and there was like a troll ins- installation and oh they're they're really taking <laughs> it and running with it Jesus. Uh, i was i was kind of yeah. making a joke no okay <laughs> We're, we yeah. we don't have that as many ideas as you think it's just we've been milking nessie in scotland yeah. for for quite a while now. We we tr- we we tried to steal that for one of our lakes. I think you did, yeah, didn't yeah. you? There was a little beef there for a yeah. while. No, 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 no. Nessie's ours. We've got nothing else. We just do hippies here. It's just not as you can't really paint those. Yeah. I guess you can paint a tech bro. I don't know. They're kind of they they share like the same ideas, tech bros and hippies. <laughs> they kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to all the tech bros and hippies that might be listening to this podcast. When's your big move? Soon? Uh, yeah, in about a month. Possibly the next time we're talking to you, you'll still be in Iceland. Probably, yeah. I think I think we're going to do like at least a year over there. I mean, that's cool because I think one of the things that a lot of these countries, like being from Scotland, and I think there's probably a lot of similarities and uh between between the two you know i think scotland's biggest problem was always people would come in we would use the free education we'd use the free healthcare, and then as soon as we got you know a little taste of something we would just run away and we'd either move to london or to la or to new york or something like that that's kind of the same in chicago people like because there's great art schools here in chicago there's a lot of great galleries going on right now and they're trying to keep Chicago artists in Chicago instead of running to 
LA instead of running to New York. Yeah, I, it's it's cool to hear you making that journey, and I, I and I I don't know you know to what degree COVID's probably played played a part in that. Um, but it's cool to hear people kind of returning because it's something I've always battled with. You know, kind of like okay, I'm in London, I'd love to go back to Scotland and help take you know take what I've learned in the in the world and then take it back to to Glasgow and then try to do something with that there with that kind of you know hey look we can we can do something with culture here you know um and try to build on that I think the that these smaller countries and cities they really benefit from that my girlfriend won't move my girlfriend won't move to Glasgow I've tried I was like I, I, it was something I was really thinking about I was like okay cool this is this is like a, a good thing to do and she's like nah way too cold there's no way we're doing that so i I, when i was picking art schools it was between glasgow and san francisco wow wow and then i just uh fair glasgow art school is (laughs) good but uh san francisco is a bigger way bigger journey i just i took a globe and spun it and was like wherever the closest i land i'm gonna pick that one i wonder what your style would have been if you were in glasgow compared to san francisco that's actually really that could have been a really different. Oh uh, yeah, I think I think turn. the tears would have come out a lot faster. <laughs> and that's it. Thank you so much for listening to episode fifty-six of the Radio Juxtaposed podcast. You can subscribe to it, obviously, on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, anywhere where there's a good podcast. We would like to also emphasize that over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Barring a disaster in the American election, we could be all over the place with the podcast, but we will be back soon and shortly with um, more um, episodes Um, coming up. We have a conversation with a curator at the Toledo Museum of Art, as well as a conversation with Jillian Evelyn. We're excited to share those. Also, buy Juxtapose Magazine. Subscribe to the print magazine. The winter issue, winter 2021, we're already there, will be out shortly, early December. Please go get it. Um, wherever you are in the world, um, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening.